Okay, we're going to um, continue. If, you're not, if you've not been here the last few weeks, we've been looking at a uh, minor prophet, a book in, in the Old Testament of, of Habakkuk. He was a prophet in Judah, in the southern region of Judah. Um, and we've been looking at his communication with God in this great little book that's hidden away in the Old Testament, three chapters. And we're going to read this morning from chapter three of Habakkuk. Again, if you don't know where it is, we've been saying, use the index at the front of your Bible. If I look at mine, you've got the Old Testament, and then you've got the New Testament. And the end of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And then if you go back five books, you find Habakkuk. And um, one of the 12, none of the 12, the, the uh, 12 kind of prophets that are found in the Old Testament. I'm going to read to you from Habakkuk 3, and we're going to read verses 1 to 15. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and he shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots. You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth, and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. So what we've been looking at these last few weeks as we've looked at the prophecy of Habakkuk is Habakkuk's lament and complaint to God about the, um, the mess that he finds the nation of Judah in and the impending threat of kind of Babylonian invasion and um, the fact that they're going to take Israel, Judah, into exile. And Habakkuk cries out to God. And 
prays to God and is honest before God. And many of us can find a friend in Habakkuk as he has this dialogue with God. God, what are you going to do? God, how long is it going to be? Why do you stay silent? Why is this happening to us, God? What about the injustice I see? And he prayed at a micro level for himself and what he saw in, with, in, in the people of Judah. He prayed at a macro level as he saw the rise of the Babylonian Empire and the impending doom that was coming upon his nation. And, and when God answered Habakkuk, God said, I'm going to bring judgment on Judah uh, and I'm, the Babylonians, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, they're going to take you into exile, uh, Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is mad at God, or he's confused, and he says, how can you use a pagan nation like Babylon to bring judgment on a people of God? How can you do that? And so he, he, he complains again to God, and God answers him and says, I will also bring judgment on Babylon. And we were looking at that last uh, week, and so God says, I'm, I'm going to bring this judgment on the people of Judah because of the wayward lives, and I'm going to bring this judgment on the people of Babylon. And, and we see a turning point in, in chapter 3 as Habakkuk then starts to pray to God in this final chapter. And he does it in a poetic way. If you read it in, in the original or if, even as we read it in the English, it is in fact a poem that is put to music, a shig, shigianos. And uh, it's a piece of musical poetry uh, as, as um, Habakkuk starts to pour out this heartfelt prayer to God. And what I want us to learn from this passage as we look at it this morning, as we come to God in prayer, in heartfelt prayer, in the middle of troubling times at times, that we can remember God who is mighty. And that is what, that is what Habakkuk is doing here. He remembers God who is mighty. He then rests in God who is merciful and he relies on God who is the greater Moses. And we'll explain that as we go along. He remembers a God who is mighty as he turns to prayer. When you are facing troubled times, seeking to maintain faith in the dark, remember God who is mighty. We've been singing it this morning. We've been singing about almighty God. We've been singing about a mighty God. The main thing that Habakkuk does in chapter 3 is he remembers, he, rec he recapitulates, he rehearses a time when Israel, whether you saw it or not as we we're reading that passage, he rehearses a time when Israel was enslaved in Egypt and when God led them out in deliverance in the great exodus that Moses led them through to the promised land. And what he starts to do as he contemplates this terrible judgment of God, he remembers that there was a previous time. There was a previous time when the people of Israel were in trouble. There was a previous time when they were exiled. And there was a previous time when God showed his might and his power in the Exodus and delivered them from the oppression and the slavery and the trouble that they found themselves with the great command, let my people go. He remembers... Habakkuk, that he is dealing with a God who is mighty. And sometimes in remembering what God has done in the past, we connect and we draw forward into the present dilemma of what God is and who God is and what God has done in the past. And we gain strength from this. I was thinking of the importance of remembrance and how we remember, and some of the ways that we remember. And I, 
I was thinking we remember by means of song. We remember by means of scripture. We remember by means of sacrament or symbol. And we remember also by soliloquy, and I'll explain that in a minute. But we remember by means of song. We see here at the start of this chapter that this is a prayer of Habakkuk on Shigiamoth, a difficult word to say, uh, and we're not quite sure what it means. But the title of Psalm 7 says, A Shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. The whole book of Habakkuk is in fact poetry, but the final chapter comprises a song that Habakkuk writes, a song, a poet, piece of poetry that is set to music. Have you noticed that songs and music are very powerful ways that help us to remember? We remember a lot through music and song. And what's, what Habakkuk is doing here is he's putting to music, he's putting uh, to, to song, he's putting this piece of poetry that the people of Israel are going to hear and recount and remember. He's remembering that God is mighty. He's remembering the exodus of the people of Israel. And he's remembering that the same God will deliver them again. And he's doing it to song. And I was thinking of, of um, the way that we remember by song or by music. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses was about to die and God met with him and his nominated successor, Joshua, at the tabernacle of meeting. And he told them that after Moses' death, the people of Israel would renege on the covenant that they had made with God. That once Moses was gone, the people would start to drift away from him and, and not keep the covenant that they had made with God, the promises that they had made in relationship with God. And so God told Moses to do something. He told him to write a song. It's known as the Song of Moses. And God said, write down the words of this song, Moses, and teach it to the community. Because in Deuteronomy 31, 19, he says, this song, write it down and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. They would sing this song in years to come and they would remember. They would remember their covenant with God and, and they would remember Moses and the words of Moses' song. I've been playing on the radio as I've been driving around in the car, heart 80s music. I've been listening to 80s music because that was the music that kind of when I was growing up or when I was at university and, and songs come on the radio and they remind you, don't they, of a certain time of your life. A bit of, a bit of Duran Duran, how about that? Or a bit of Phil Collins. Phil Collins reminds me so much of, of university and uh, I used to listen to him at university or, or uh, Steve Winwood. Or, but the songs of the 80s for me are very evocative of a, of a certain memory. I was having dinner this week with some friends and, and they mentioned the lyrics of a song. We were talking about something and, and, and he, he, quoted, he quoted a song line. He said, it's, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Do you remember that song? It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. But as he said that line of that song, I had to curl up in a ball and start rocking because... It reminded me so strongly of when I was bullied at school. That song was in the charts when I was 11, 12 years old, and I, I, got, I got quite badly bullied in my first, second year of school, and I remembered Michael Law, who bullied me, 
And, but that song was playing. And I used to walk to school. And I used to, that song was going round in my head. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. So this guy mentioned it at me. I started to rock and I was like, no. <laughs> Strong memories ev- evoked by music. I mean, that's a negative one, but, but we all have music, don't we, that reminds us of things. And it's a really interesting thing that when Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, he said let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let God's word seep into your soul as you sing. And some of us are more into the psalms and some of us are more into the hymns and some of us more into the spiritual songs. But you can sing a certain song, Amazing Grace, It Is Well With My Soul, Praise my soul, the king of heaven. You know, you can sing a certain song. It will take you right back to a certain place. And we can sing trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey, that takes me right back to the 1970s. A sweaty church in the back streets of Bolton. People getting baptized. Packed house. Memories from songs. And what Habakkuk is doing, he's remembering as he puts to song a shigion off. A shigion <laughs> Poetry to music. He's remembering the might of God. There's a book by a guy called Wilhoyt, and he says, Worship plays a crucial role in shaping a formative vision of Christians. Um, J.I. Packer and and his co-author, James Parrott, says, There is one particular catechetical strategy that has the potential to deeply engage our minds our hearts and our bodies at the same time in a unique way, the singing of well-chosen hymns of the faith. Music is so important. And um, Ian Stackhouse said in one of his uh, pieces of literature, he said, we imbibe our theology through the songs that we sing. And so it's important. It's important as we sing this morning, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, as we sing of the of the might of God. What we are doing, we're letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our heart to God. And it's one of the powerful ways that we remember. And some of us need to remember by, yeah, by playing those old songs, by playing those uh, songs and those hymns of faith that have carried us through before. I was thinking of um, a song that we sing here. Uh, it's, it's the last word. The storm rises from the deep and rages around me but I will remember I will remember when doubt wars within my heart the battle almost lost I will remember you have the last word it is finished you have the last word my fear is silenced in your love my hope is endless And it talks there about your voice calming the violent sea, speaking courage over me. I will remember. I will remember God. And Habakkuk creates this song, this poem, and he remembers God who is mighty. And he says these words, Lord, in verse 2 of chapter 3, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our time. In our day, make them known. And then in verses 3 to 15, what he does in musical and poetic form is he recalls the mighty acts of God from the past. 
Like all good poetry, the verses stretch us. We're not quite sure what Habakkuk is talking about sometimes. Some of the powerful images he uses. But the poetry stretches us as we look at the past acts of God for the people of Israel. We're left in no doubt that Habakkuk is looking back at the faithfulness and the mighty deliverance of God and he is praying, God, you have done it in the past, so would you please do it again in our day? God, I remember, I've heard of your deeds. I've heard of the exodus. I've heard of how you took the people of Israel across the Red Sea. I've heard of your mighty power exhibited at Mount Sinai. I've heard how you shook the mountaintops. I've heard, God, how you parted the waters, how you trampled the seas. God, I've heard of your deeds. I know that you've done it in the past. I know that you delivered Israel in the past. And as I look down the barrel of a Babylonian gun, God, will you do it again in our day? Will you deliver us, God, like you delivered the Israelites in the past? We're going to remember you, God. We're going to sing this song. We're going to remember the things you've done in the past. And we know, God, that you'll do it again. We know you'll do it again. And the generations may pass. And I look, even in recent times, at the passing of a generation of Christian leaders. You look at some of the greats kind of passing on into the presence of God. And you think, how are we going to manage without Billy Graham? How are we going to manage as... As um, Nicky Gumbel retires from ministry at Holy Trinity Brompton, the leader of the Alpha Course, this great evangelist that shared the gospel with millions of people around the world. God, how are we going to manage when these giants step from the stage? And I think, Lord, you've done it in the past, and you'll do it again in our day, and you'll do it in the next generation. And you'll raise up the next load of leaders and the next group of people that call on your name and trust in you in faith and call on a mighty God. And and, uh, Habakkuk rehearses some of these things. He speaks of the pestilence and the plagues as God delivered the people of uh, Israel from, from Egypt. He speaks of the shaking of the ground, the meeting with them on Mount Sinai. He speaks of them, the trampling of the sea and the crossing of the Red Sea. He speaks of in song and music and worship, in incredible ways of remembrance. The song of Moses, the song of Habakkuk. We remember by song. We remember by the songs we sing and the the theology we imbibe and 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 the choruses that we sing and the hymns that we recount are so powerful and they're so important for us to listen to and to sing along with. But we remember as well by means of Scripture we read in, uh, in Romans 15, 4, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. We're reading Habakkuk this morning. We, we're not facing the Babylonians. We're not facing the same things that he was facing, but in many ways we are. In many ways we're facing the demise of, of, of religion. We're facing the same kind of economic challenges, the same levels of injustice, the same inverted values. We're facing many of the same things that people have faced down the ages. And through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. It's so important to remember the Scriptures. And God wants, the message version says, God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in Scripture to come to characterize us keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. 
God, you've done it in the past. I've heard of your deeds. I stand in awe of your deeds, your works. God, do it again. God, if you did it for them, you will do it for us. And it's so important that we know the scriptures. I'm really excited about what we're going to be doing in the autumn. We're going to be doing a series called Inspired. And it's going to be about the inspired word of God. And it's going to inspire us to turn again to the word of God. We're going to be taking 40 days together as a church We're going to be doing daily devotionals. We're going to be reading the scriptures together. We're going to be watching video devotionals that we will make ourselves as a a church. We're going to be teaching about, on Sundays, like what the Bible is and how it came to be. And we're going to talk you through the whole story of the Bible, how it all fits together. We're We're going to talk about the why of scripture and the how. We're going to be very practical as well as we look at how can I engage with the scriptures. How can I read it? How can I imbibe it? How can I live off it? We're going to be meeting in small groups and and Paul had a great meeting on Wednesday starting to talk about starting new groups and we've got several new groups coming down the line that are going to meet together and we're going to combine as a church on Sundays and midweek and daily devotionals and but we're going to we're going to have a great time being inspired again to uh, turn again to the inspired word of God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we remember through scripture, which is why it's so important to learn it, to memorize it, to imbibe it, and to live off it. We also remember, if I'm thinking about how we remember, and and Habakkuk is remembering the mighty acts of God, he remembers through song, he remembers through scripture, but we remember through symbol or sacrament. I think of Jesus when he when he broke the bread that we were thinking about last week and he took the cup and, and he gave it to them and he said, he, he, he said, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I was thinking the other week as we took communion together and we pass around these little wafers and we pass around these little cups of cordial and I was thinking, isn't it amazing that for 2,000 years we have remembered through the simple act of taking some bread, if we do that, and wine or the equivalent of. And through these two symbols, sacraments, a visible inaction of an invisible reality, through these sacraments and these symbols, we remember. And we, here in 21st century Plymouth, we remember the same way as those first disciples. And down through the ages, and up and down through the Reformation, and through the medieval ages, and through the dark ages, and out the other side, and people writing off the church, we come, we take these symbols. We remember, and that's exactly what Jesus said, do this to remember me until I come again. Isn't that powerful? Symbols are so powerful. And that's why logos are so powerful, and trademarks are so powerful, and They evoke something in us. This is my body. This is my blood. But we also do it, we remember through soliloquy. I had to use that word because it begins with S. But we remember through soliloquy. If I look up soliloquy in the dictionary, it says the act of talking to oneself. (laughs) Soliloquy, the act of talking to oneself, giving yourself a good talking to. Isn't that how the psalmist remembers? Psalm 42, 3 to 5, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember. 
as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He starts to talk to himself. And these things, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember the way it used to be. And I'm going to talk to myself. It happens again in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Don't forget. Remember what God has done for you. And he starts to talk to himself. And what Habakkuk is ultimately reminding himself of What we must remember is the gospel. He's acted in the past and he's a mighty God. And why did he why did you do these things, God? What was your motivation? But he he remembers, he talks to himself. I don't know if I should reveal this, but I will. I talk to myself sometimes. And sometimes when I go kayaking and I'm struggling a little bit, or it's quite windy, I motivate myself by talking to myself. And I motivate my talking to myself, and I definitely shouldn't reveal this to you, in funny accents. (laughs) So I'd be paddling along, and last week I was paddling, and the wind was against me, and the waves were against me, I was getting tired, and so I started to talk to myself in German. Machen Sie weiter! Geben Sie nicht auf! And then I do it a bit in French. N'arrête pas! And then I do it in Scottish. But I'm not going to do my Scottish accent. No, no, no. Because my Scottish accent is a little bit like my Indian accent. Kind of merges. I'm a bit Scottish, Indo, Indo Scottish, and then I do it in Welsh. I'm definitely not going to do my Welsh accent. <laughs> I kind of have a laugh at myself and motivate myself. I used to play tennis, and I used to talk to myself when I was playing tennis. I used to play football. I used to talk to myself playing football. When I get tired, when I get, when I go running now, I talk to myself occasionally. I get the strangest looks, but. <laughs> But it works, and we are to talk to ourselves. That's how we remember. Uh, uh, Come on, oh my soul. Come on. Put your trust in God. It might be tough right now. As 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 my tears have been my food day and night, I'm sobbing my heart out, I'm crying, I'm having a tough time, but these things I will remember. Come on, oh my soul. Put your trust in God. He did it before. He'll do it again. He is faithful from generation to generation. So you're either going to let somebody talk to you or you're going to talk to yourself. And the psalmist does it again and again and again. You don't have to do it in a funny accent if you don't want to. (laughs) But we remember by soliloquy. And that's what Habakkuk does. He remembers a mighty God. And and he looks at God and and he sees these tremendous acts of God. He's reflecting on the might of God and he looks at the storming of the waters and the way the, the seas are lifted up. And then he asks this kind of rhetorical question. He said, were you angry at the sea, God? It's verse eight. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and you parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? What was going on, God, when you did these things? What was your motivation? And the answer comes to his own question, no. That's not why you did these things. You were sending 
the chariots of salvation. Verse 13, you went out to rescue your chosen people, God. You went to save your anointed ones. Your motivation was not anger or wrath. Your motivation was salvation and redemption. That's why you acted the way you did in the past, God. That was your motivation. That's what you're a salvation God. You're a redemption God. You're a redeeming God. And even when the waters are in turmoil, God, it's because you came to save your people. That's why you acted the way you did in the past. And that's why you will act in the future to save and redeem your people and to save and redeem me. You're a mighty God. And you're not motivated by wrath. You're motivated by mercy. You've done it before, God. Do it again. Remember God who is mighty. Sing the songs. Say the scripture. Sup on the sacraments. Speak out the soliloquy. Remember God who is mighty. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. He remembers a God who is mighty. But in that, looking at the motivation of God, he rests in a God who is merciful. God is mighty. He is powerful. He's almighty. But he's also merciful. I have heard about you, God. I've heard all about you. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, God, remember your mercy. God, if you're going to bring judgment on Judah, and if you're going to bring judgment on Babylon, and if you're going to take us down this road, God, in your wrath, please remember mercy. God, be merciful to us. That's Habakkuk's prayer. He's resting in God's mercy. He's remembering God's might, but he's resting in God's mercy. And the, and the Hebrew word uh, for wrath, in your wrath, remember mercy, is roges, and it actually means trembling. In your trembling, in, in our times of trembling, God, and it's the same word, it's used four times in Habakkuk 3, and the other times it's rendered trembling. In, your, in these times of trembling, God, remember mercy. And he does tremble. In verse 16, Habakkuk is wetting himself. He is terrified. He says, I heard, I've heard everything that God said he's going to do, and my heart pounded, and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. God, I am terrified. I stand in awe. I stand in fear of what you're going to do. He trembles, and, and the Hebrew talks about his bowels moving. In these times of trembling, God, in my personal situation, God, when I've received that diagnosis, God, in this time of great disappointment, God, in this time of delay, as I go through this divorce, as I have unsurmountable, it seems, difficulties with my child, God, in these times of trembling, God, remember mercy. We remembered the other Sunday night the ancient prayer of the people of God, Kyrie Eliezer, Lord, have mercy. And that's Habakkuk's prayer. He, he rests on the mercy of God. And God is, by nature, someone that is merciful. 
Have you ever, as a parent, if you're a parent, have you ever had to discipline your child and your heart wasn't really in it? First of all, it happens sometimes because they're making you laugh. They do something wrong, but it's kind of funny. And so they're making you laugh, and you've got to punish them, but actually you just want to laugh because it's so funny what they've done. Sometimes as a parent, when you have to punish your children, your heart isn't in it. Or sometimes, as has happened to me, you draw a line in the sand and you say you're not to do that. And if you do that, there will be a consequence, there will be a punishment. And then, of course, being kids, they do that. They cross the line. And you know, if you're going to implement discipline in the home and set boundaries, you know you've got a punishment, punish them, but your heart's not really in it. You don't really want to punish them because you love them and you're merciful and you kind of understand why they cross the line anyway. But I think sometimes as God disciplines us, his heart's not really in it. (laughs) He's reinforcing a line that's been crossed. The Bible tells us this in Lamentations 3, 31 to 33, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever, though he brings grief he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. He doesn't like to do it. His heart's not in it, because he's a merciful God. The Lord does afflict the children of men, but his heart is not in it, it says in Lamentations. We, we see an instance of this in um, 2 Samuel 24, when David counts the people of God, and he's not supposed to do that. He, he distrusts God and the rule of God, and he counts, he has the people counted, and he disobeys God in doing that in 2 Samuel 24, and, and the prophet Gad comes to David, and he says, you've done what you shouldn't have done, David, and the word of the Lord comes to you, and in 2 Samuel 24, 13 and 14, <clears throat> It's not, a great, it's, not, it's, like, it's not a great situation because the prophet says you've got three options for punishment, David. The Lord's going to punish you. You've got three options. He says, shall there come on you three years of famine in the land or do you want three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you or three days of plague in your land? And what does David respond David says to Gad, I'm in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But don't let me fall into human hands. (laughs) Don't let the humans punish me. Let me fall into the hands of God, for he's very merciful. Maybe you don't view God like this. The Bible tells us the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Maybe you have a gorilla view of God's mercy. Maybe you have a gorilla view of God's mercy. There was a zoo in um, Brookfield, Illinois, and uh, it had a gorilla enclosure. And I don't know how it happened, but it did happen. A three-year-old little boy climbed over the railing, and fell 24 feet into an enclosure with seven grown gorillas in it. The people around that were watching started to scream with horror at the sight of this small three-year-old boy 
falling into the gorilla compound. The gorilla started to gather around this child. And then this gorilla called Binti, an eight-year-old female, stooped down and picked up this child and cradled it in her arms. And she took it to the gate where the zookeeper would come in. She placed it by the gate and she walked away. The zookeepers opened the gate, took the little child out, and he made a full recovery. But some of us have got a view of God's mercy, which is a gorilla view. Isn't that amazing, we say? But the question remains, how many children would you want to, en to entrust <laughs> to Binti the gorilla and her care? We say, well, that's probably the exception to the rule. And some of us, that's our view of the mercy of God. But the mercy of God is not the exception to the rule. The mercy of God is his nature and his character. It's who God is. It's who God is, and it's not the exception. It's the, it's the rule. In a time of trembling, Habakkuk says, be merciful, God. May you remember mercy in our time of trembling. When I stumble and when I fall, Lord, remember mercy. God has a way of cushioning your fall with his mercy. And Habakkuk's prayer is, God, renew these acts in our day and in our time. We know what you've done in the past. We know you were motivated to rescue your people, God. Be merciful again. And we're reminded in Lamentations that the steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness, the hesed the loving kindness of God. In the badlands, in the difficult times, we can rest in the mercy of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Remember God who is mighty, which is what Habakkuk does. Rest in God who is merciful, but rely on God who is the greater Moses. What Habakkuk has been doing, he's, he's been remembering, and what he's been remembering is he's been remembering the Exodus. He's been remembering the deliverance of the people of Israel in a bygone era, and he's saying, God, I've heard, and I want you to do it again. I want you to deliver us like you delivered them. He's remembering the might of God. He's remembering uh, and reminding himself of the salvation of God, of the gospel. But we have a perspective that Habakkuk did not have, who is the ultimate Moses, the ultimate deliverer? In Luke chapter 9, we have a, a funny instance where Jesus is on the mountaintop with his disciples, and he meets Moses and Elijah. And Jesus, if you remember, if you're aware of the story, he's transfigured before their eyes. He shines so brightly as, as some of the glory that he's given up to come down to earth shines in him, is shown, is revealed again, the transfiguration. And as he stands there, he starts to talk to Moses and Elijah who appear also. And we have an interesting thing, because we read in chapter 9, verse 31, that Moses begins to talk to Jesus about his departure. And the word in Greek is exodus. Moses starts to talk to Jesus about his exodus. You can imagine Moses saying to Jesus, the exodus I pulled off was amazing. You should have been there. 
But the exodus that you are about to pull off is the ultimate one, Jesus. It's the ultimate deliverance. As Moses starts to talk to Jesus about his exodus, Habakkuk was comforting himself as he remembered the exodus of the people of God, the deliverance of God. But we remember a greater exodus, a greater Moses when we are in trouble. The first Moses risked his life to liberate the children of Israel from political and social bondage from Pharaoh. But Jesus, the greater Moses, gave his life to liberate us from evil and sin and death. The first Moses had them slay a lamb and daub its blood on the doorpost to deliver them and to save them and to forgive them for what they had done wrong. But Jesus, the greater Moses, was the Lamb of God whose blood was poured out so that we could be delivered. The first Moses engraved the names of the children of Israel on jewels and had them placed on the chest of the high priest Aaron who stood before the presence of God with the names of the children of Israel engraved on his chest. But the greater Moses, as Isaiah prophesied, has engraved our names on the palms of his hands. Jesus, our high priest, stands before the Father and represents us. And we can rejoice with the first disciples that our names are written, literally engraved in heaven. This is the hope that we have as we look to the greater Moses. If we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, our future is secure. Our hope is unshakable. Our salvation is assured. We can trust in God in troubled times like Habakkuk did because we remember a God who is mighty. We remember a God who has acted before and will act again, who has got all the power and all the authority to do that. We rest in a God who is merciful and whose motivation when he struck the seas and the rivers and when he acted on behalf of the people was not one of wrath, but it was one of mercy. And it was one of salvation and it was one of redemption. But we ultimately, as we stand today, we rely on a God who is the greater Moses. We rely on one who did not just slay a lamb, but was the lamb that was slain. Who did not just engrave our names, but had our names engraved on his hands. One who died and went to death for us so that we could live. And as we have reflected on this book of Habakkuk, and we'll finish it next week, we have reflected on the fact, the kind of the great statement of Habakkuk, we will not die. We will not die. We will survive. And that's a great promise, isn't it, of, of John 3.16, that if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we confess, if we trust in him, if we acknowledge that he died for us, we look to the fact that he loved us so much that if we believe in him, we shall not die. We shall not perish, but we shall have everlasting life. We put our trust in Jesus, then our faith is secured, our hope is secured, our future is secured. And we go again with Paul as we reflected the last couple of weeks where he reckoned, he agonized, agonized he, he thought it through and he he said, actually, as I look at these present troubles that we're in, 
I reckon that they are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in that end day. So we, we too need to remember. Remember through song, it's important to worship together with God's people. It's important to worship God through song. Remember through song. Remember through scripture. Engage with scripture. Engage with us later in the year as we look at this inspired series. Engage with sacrament and symbol and soliloquy, speaking to ourselves. We remember that God is mighty. God's done it before. God will do it again. Did God let you down before? No, he didn't. And he won't let you down now. We rest in God's mercy. His nature and character is mercy. And we rely on his goodness and on the greater Moses. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite Andy and the team to rejoin me. Whatever is, is troubling you this morning, if you, if you find yourselves in the dark in faith or in troubled times, you find a companion in Habakkuk. I want you to pray with me that ancient prayer this morning. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Mercy is not the exception to your rule, to who you are. You are a merciful God. Lord, in wrath, in times of trembling, on the day of the bad diagnosis, God, in the struggles of divorce, in the times of disappointment, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Why don't you reach out to the Lord where you are right now and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I place my hand in your hand. I place my trust in you, Lord. Even in the troubled times, God, I trust in you. I thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And Lord, collectively, as we sit in the presence of the Lord this morning, we remember God. We remember your faithfulness through past generations. We remember great leaders who've gone before us. We remember the people of God that have sang and prayed their way down the years, sat in these seats before us and in the pews before them, we remember the generations gone by, God, and they saw your acts and they celebrated your deeds, God. Down through the ages and down through history, Lord, you have been faithful from generation to generation. Lord, we have heard of your deeds. We stand in awe of your works, Lord. Would you renew them, God, in our day and in our generation? Lord, as I look up to my right, Lord, to this balcony of young adults and young people, God, as I look out at those, Lord, who are at the other end of the scale, I look at the 17-year-olds and I look at the 70-year-olds. God, you have been faithful and will be faithful to both. So, God, we pray that you will pour out your Spirit on all of us, God. We will remember. You have been faithful and you will be faithful. 
you find yourself in that squall or that storm, just whisper to God this morning, God, Lord, have mercy. Lord, in my time of trembling, have mercy. Remember mercy, God, and act, O oh God, on our behalf.